give glory and honor to God for granting us this opportunity to share with you this is Adventist Soul Radio, the voice of hope. Welcome dear listener to this promising session of the New Life Program. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. This is Adventist Soul Radio, the voice of hope. Lydia Cheng is on standby with the family segment. Today, she will be talking about the influence of a wife and a mother. Brother Ian Musil will also be joining us during the Bible session to talk about a journey to heaven. Gracious singers will start us off with a song. It's a wonderful place we call home. Tis a city of glory divine. It is built in the garden of rest. And the beautiful home shall be Oh, oh, oh. 
Adventist Soul Radio, the voice of hope. It is now time for the family segment. Join me as I welcome Lydia Chin. Dear listener, welcome to today's Family Life program. Today's topic is influence of a wife and mother. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for your word. As we're about to hear your message today, may you help us to keep it and be doers of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are concentrating on the influence a wife and mother can bring into her home. She brings either a softening or a hardening touch to most every situation involving her children and her husband. As author Melanie Chitwood says, women are the heart of the home and our attitudes set the emotional temperature in our families. A wife's positive attitude can permeate our home like the sweet aroma of freshly picked flowers or negative attitude can pollute her home like stinky garbage. The Bible says, a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. However, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Better to live in a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Do you see the influence a woman can bring into her home? So, for this marriage message, we'd like to give our women hearers a number of quotes to read that can affirm, challenge, and help as you participate with God as his colleague in ministering within your home. Do you see the influence a woman can bring into her home? So for this marriage message, we'd like to give our women hearers a number of quotes that can affirm, challenge, and help as you participate with God as his colleague in ministering within your home. Your greatest temptation to sin is when someone first sins against you, but their sin never justifies your sin. This is as true for spouses as it is for siblings. Fighting your husband's irresponsibility with irresponsibility of your own is like pouring gasoline on a fire. It just makes things that much more explosive, that much worse. The Bible recommends a more subversive approach. Let love conquer evil. Let responsibility shame irresponsibility. It's a spiritual fact that kindness kills wickedness far more effectively than nagging, complaining, or disrespect. Remember, God won us with grace when we were his rebellious enemies. He doesn't ask anything of you that he hasn't already done himself. God says that we are responsible to love even in the face of another's irresponsibility. Have you ever heard it said that some people brighten a room just by their presence, while others brighten the room by leaving? We want to be room lighters, not gloomy grumblers. Jesus told his followers in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He wasn't saying we should be Sally Smiles or Freda Fake or Polly Perfect. He was saying that God has placed his gospel of truth, joy, and hope in our hearts, and we shouldn't hide it. 
we should let it radiate from our lives and as we shine with the Lord's love, others will be drawn to him. Only one perfect man ever walked this earth and he never married. Since every wife is married to an imperfect man, every wife will have legitimate disappointments in her marriage. Are you going to define your husband by these disappointments or will you pray that God will open your eyes to the common blessings that your husband provides and to which you often become blinded? Many women I meet at our seminars ask me how they can change their husbands. I gently remind them that the Holy Spirit, not the wife, is the change agent. Speaking to this same situation, Ruth Graham wisely says, Tell your mate the positive and tell God the negative. Talk to God about your marriage. Ask your Heavenly Father to work change through His Spirit and know that He may change you as well as your spouse. Make a point of listening carefully to yourself during an hour spent with your husband. Then try to put yourself in his shoes and evaluate the way you behaved and the words you spoke. Try to assess whether you helped draw him closer to yourself as his wife and to God's kingdom or whether you pushed him farther away. Reflect honestly about your life and think about any of your actions or attitudes that probably make it harder for other people to believe in Jesus. Repent when you're ready and ask God to help you change. Let me make it perfectly clear that the power of a praying wife is not a means of gaining control over your husband, so don't get your hopes up. In fact, it is quite the opposite. It's laying down all claim to power in and of yourself and relying on God's power to transform you, your husband, your circumstances, and your marriage. This power is not given to wield like a weapon in order to beat back an unruly beast. It's a gentle tool of restoration appropriated through the prayers of a wife who longs to do right more than be right and to give life more than get even. It's a way to invite God's power into your husband's life for his greatest blessing, which is ultimately yours too. Many difficult things happen in a marriage relationship. Many difficult things that happen in a marriage relationship are actually part of the enemy's plan set up for its demise. But we can say, I will not allow anything to destroy my marriage. I will not stand by and watch my husband be wearied, beaten down, or destroyed. I will not sit idle while an invisible wall goes up. I will not sit. I will not sit idle while an invisible wall goes up between us. I will not allow confusion, miscommunication, wrong attitudes, and bad choices erode what we are trying to build together. We can take a stand against any negative influences in our marriage relationship and know that God has given us authority in his name to back it up. You have the means to establish a hedge of protection around your marriage because Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's found in Matthew chapter 18 verse 18. You have authority in the name of Jesus to stop evil and permit good. You can submit to God in prayer whatever controls your husband, alcoholism, workaholism, laziness, depression, infirmity, abusiveness, anxiety, fear, or failure, and pray for him to be released from it. Lord, help me to be a woman of God who, with your guidance and strength and empowerment, poke holes in the darkness that the enemy of our faith tries to bring into my marriage and into our home. Help me to remember that my husband is not perfect, but neither am I. And for that reason, in partnership with you, it is my privilege to pray for both of us. Lord, help me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless as you minister in your homes as unto the Lord. This material is provided by Marriage Missions International. Until next time, God bless you. We appreciate those who have given us their thoughts concerning this program. We are here just for you. For those who have never communicated to us, you can start today by writing to the producer, Adventist World Radio, PO Box 4276, code 00100, Nairobi, Kenya, or email us through awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Here's a song, Wandering Sinner, by Gracious Singers. I was a wandering sinner, so to the Bible segment. Join me as I welcome Brother Ian. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord dear listener and welcome to our study today. The topic of our study is a journey to heaven. I am your presenter, Ian Muse. In the book of Revelation, John declared that nothing which defileth will go through the gates into that dwelling place of God. The only thing that defiles in God's sight is sin. Isaiah wrote, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 In order to live again in the presence of God, each individual must be free from the condemnation brought on by sin. The Apostle John confirmed this fact by his description of that great multitude that he saw in vision standing before the throne of God. They had palms in their hands and were dressed in white robes, representing freedom from sin. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 As the first giant step on the way from earth to heaven, 
we must have our sins forgiven. This is probably the best known fact about the entire salvation process. Yet the most perplexing questions are raised about the way to take this step. The truth is that millions have only the vaguest idea about how to obtain relief from the guilt of their wrongdoing. How can a person obtain pardon and be restored to a saving union with God? It is my belief that countless numbers of people really want to be Christians, but no one has made it clear enough or appealing enough to win their decision. In the next few pages, you will read the most simple, bottom-line explanation of the plan of salvation. Even the children should be able to understand what it means to be saved. I don't believe that it is enough to just tell people they are lost and need to be found. We must show them step by step how to pass from death to life. The doctor doesn't tell his patients that they are sick and need to be well without giving a prescription for their healing. In the same way, we must be prepared to offer a specific cure for those who have been diagnosed with the disease of sin. How does one obtain the requisite pardon for those sins that have become such a common lot for every human being? We need to understand from the very beginning that there are three conditions to having our sins forgiven. Repentance, confession, and restitution. Please do not let those long theological terms confuse you. We shall break them into such simple language that all will know what they mean and how to fulfill their requirements. What is repentance and what are we to repent of? The Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 The meaning of these inspired words is very clear. Regardless of our wealth, sex or station in life, we have all made personal choices to break God's law. The Bible calls it sin. No resolute human effort has been sufficient to overcome the inherited tendencies to have our own way. The results of that original sin by Adam and Eve have been passed along to every succeeding generation, ours included. The inability to meet God's standard is a part of the carnal nature that has marked every member of the human family since the fall of our first parents. We can better understand how all have sinned when we look at the beautiful, innocent little baby throwing a tantrum when its will is crossed. There is no age when the fallen nature has power of itself to control the life and modify the behavior. The Bible declares, The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can we. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 Jeremiah made the interesting observation. Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good, that are accustomed to do evil. Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 23 In other words, not one of us has the ability to change this lot and dying condition into which we have been thrust. We cannot lift ourselves by our own bootstraps, not even education, culture, or any of the other amenities of society are able to reverse the consequences of our sinful heritage. After recognizing the fact that our yielding to the propensities of our genetic natures has condemned us all, we are next confronted with the result of our transgressions. Paul describes it very succinctly in these words, The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 with this shocking line, 
the full horror of our situation appears before us. Not only are we all guilty, but we also have been sentenced to die for our sins. Every member of the human family is consigned to a death row status as a consequence of our willful disobedience. Is it not more than alarming to be confronted with our own death sentence, realizing that there is not a court or judge in the universe that will declare us not guilty? The fact is, of course, that we are just as guilty as sin. Furthermore, the penalty is absolutely irreversible, and God himself could not cancel it without contradicting his own character and law. Is there a solution to our dilemma? Someone may suggest that our only recourse is to go ahead and pay the penalty for what we have done wrong. By dying for our sins, we can uphold the justice of God and satisfy the demands of our broken law at the same time. We could do that all right, but where would it leave us? Since we have no power to raise ourselves from the dead, we will be eternally cut off from life with no hope of a resurrection. Certainly that cause does not seem to be a very satisfactory answer to our problem. Finally, we have to face the truly disturbing fact that we owe something we cannot pay. We owe our very lives for our sin debt and have no way to pay without forfeiting all future existence. We also owe something we can't pay our very lives. But a friend in the person of Jesus says, I will assume your debt, suffer death in your place, and put it all to the credit of your personal account. That offer stands behind all three of the steps we are considering in the salvation experience. It constitutes the basis of our receiving forgiveness for our sins. How is the guilt, condemnation, and death sentence transferred from you and me and placed upon Jesus, our divine substitute? Dear listener, it is indeed a misery how a sinless Savior could die for our sins. Let us therefore accept this great salvation as it is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your time, dear listener. I was your presenter, Ian Musa. It has been nice having your company. In case you have any views, comments, or questions about the program, kindly write to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00-100, Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Until next time, I've been a presenter, Samuel Mangi. Remember, stay safe, stay blessed. There's a wonderful place we call home. Tis a city of glory. Oh,
Oh, boy. 